I'm one of those that all get on this rabbit trail of thinking and go and go and go. And the question is, is that adding value? If I'm getting somewhere, it does. If I'm backing the car out of the driveway and pulling back in and backing out and going back, if I'm not getting anywhere, why am I doing this? So it's really kind of figuring out the things that you do that add value. What are the relationships that add value? Have certain relationships become toxic? How do you eliminate those or minimize those or put healthy boundaries around those? What are the things that you can do to improve your quality of life on a day-to-day basis? It's worth thinking about. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Now, before diving in today, I wanted to let you know that for the entire month of January, while I'm still on maternity leave with my little man, we will be focusing on one episode per week and they will roll out on Tuesdays. Now, I was able to make sure that December had two episodes per week, definitely wanted to make that happen, but to make things a little bit easier on myself and my little family, I am going down to one per week for the next four weeks. So just wanted to give you a heads up. Let's dive in. Here is a truth that I've shared many times on the show. Stress is damaging. It wears down your body and your brain on a cellular level, and it's difficult to heal because so often we think of stress as part of our normal day. We stress about work, family, obligations, health, money, unexpected inconveniences, the news, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, when it comes to stress, it's important to focus on the root causes, the stress response system. Now, in case you want to dive deeper into that topic on how stress works in the body and what drives stress, check out episode 178 that I recorded last year, which is, are you addicted to stress? If so, how to manage stress with three simple strategies. Now, if you are concerned that stress is causing your fatigue and burnout and you're feeling like those symptoms are coming up multiple times a week, today's episode is a great place to start. Today's interview with Dr. Jennifer Love is dedicated to understanding how your brain changes due to stress and what we can do to change our stress response system at the source. Plus, Dr. Jennifer Love and I will be sharing our best strategies for you on how to combat stress on the daily. Now, before I bring Dr. Jennifer Love to the show, I would love to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Jennifer Love is a board-certified psychiatrist, addicted psychiatrist, and addiction medicine expert. She is a diplomat of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology and the American Board of Addiction Medicine. She is currently developing her own documentary series on women, as well as an educational documentary series on suicide prevention. Her work focuses on restoring life balance, brain and body health, and helping her patients to improve their functionality and satisfaction in life. She is also the brand new author of When Crisis Strikes, Five Steps to Heal Your Brain, Body, and Life from Chronic Stress. Let's welcome Dr. Love to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Jennifer Love. How are you doing today, girl? Oh, I'm so happy the day's over. (laughs) I'm glad I just get to sit and talk with you for a while. Um, It's great to be here and see you today. 
also, how great is it that this gets to be a part of our, our our job in our career in a lot of ways, like to get to have these conversations, to get to talk about, you know, solving one of the biggest issues that a lot of people are dealing with right now. Um, and that is we're talking about five steps to healing our brain and our body and life from chronic stress. And I know and you know that this last year has been unprecedented. Like this is a different kind of year. 2020 is like a swear word and will go down in history. It's like the worst swear word anyone could ever use. It's so true. Like in so many of us, depending on the circumstances, whether we are working too much or we're working too little or we've got family to take care of, or we're wearing multiple hats. Like we are, we all of a sudden became teachers and we became, you know, we we were working from home and just so many things going on. And let's be honest, most of us, we were dealing with stress before 2020. Exactly. I wrote my book before 2020. (laughs) So talk to me about how that has shifted for us. Like 2019, a lot of us probably could have left that year too feeling definitely a bit stressed. And then we come into 2020 and there are mounting stressors that we absolutely could not have predicted. Oh my goodness. We know New Year's is my favorite holiday because I love this concept of like a fresh new beginning and taking what's happened in the year and putting it behind you and starting with something new. I may rethink that after this year. (laughs) I may have to pick a different new holiday. But all the stress that this book was written with the intention of helping people deal with these major stressors we get in life. Losses, divorce, death, cancer, having a child with special needs, aging parents, midlife crisis, chronic pain, bullying, trauma, existential crisis, spiritual crisis. Like That's what we really wanted to get at. And when 2020 hit, it added to all of the stuff that we go through in life. It was a pandemic. It's social justice. It's California's on fire, right? And then, you know, trying to figure out how to get, you know, scramble my practice at home. And for me, like my identity was stolen. Someone filed my taxes and stole my return. And so I'm trying to like call the IRS, but they're not open because it's a pandemic, you know, it was just one thing after another, after another, after another, on top of all the things that we've been dealing with already on a regular basis. And so you're seeing all these articles that are coming out about people you know, having to see the dentist because their teeth are breaking because they're clenching or grinding so hard at night, people's hairs falling out. They're just having all these symptoms of stress because of this compilation of everything from this year. Hmm. I, I hear that 100%. And I see that in my own family. I see that in the women that I take care of. I see it in everyday conversations. It's definitely the thing that people know is kind of like this heavy weight on their shoulders. Now, when we talk about stress, one of the things we were talking about a little bit before we we got into the conversation, the official conversation, is that I think everyone knows that they're stressed. You know, they go to, the, I forget what the number is, like 98% of patient visits, if it comes up, people are going to tell their primary care physician or their doctor that they feel that they know they're stressed. However, I find that not everyone always knows how stress feels. Like there's a lot of compounding disruptive symptoms. Like you had described people having to go to the dentist because they're grinding their teeth and their teeth are are chipping and they're falling out. 
People aren't able to sleep at night. They are waking up exhausted. What are some of the more surprising symptoms of chronic stress that people may, may, may be completely overlooking, may not even realize are actually due to the, the stress that they're dealing with right now? So I think one of the things that surprises my patients the most is the immune system and how that can fall apart. People are more susceptible to having like colds and flus and that kind of thing. But you can also have an increase or development of allergies. So people will start having allergic reactions and they haven't changed their diet. They've never had food allergies before, but suddenly they have like, they develop these sensitivities. The immune system is so on edge. We can even see with certain traumas that there's an increased rate of autoimmune disorders. The body will attack its own thyroid. And so I, I think a lot of people struggle to see, you know, the development of like autoimmune or allergies or whatever as part of their stress. Certainly weight gain, you know, having restless sleep, but there are so many different things that mimic each other that it's hard to tell. Brain fog poor focus and concentration. People come to me every day saying that they have attention deficit disorder. And when I do testing, I'm like, gosh, your frontal lobe is perfect. Like how stressed are you? Oh, well, I have stress, but that's not getting my my way of focusing. I have ADD. I'm like, no, you have stress, you know, (laughs) or you have a thyroid disorder. You have, you know, we run labs and, and look at all these, you know, what can be going on. So the focus fatigue, those are really common, sugar cravings, of course, and, you know, the teeth grinding, hair falling out, all of that. How about, you know, one of the big ones I see a lot is period problems. If you are stressed in August, you are going to feel it in September. Yes. So our hormone levels can be changed and sex drive can be changed. So women's cycles, like the length of it can shorten or lengthen. And testosterone levels fluctuate. For women, our primary source of testosterone is the adrenal glands. And that's part of our body's alarm system when we're stressed. And when you think about it, our body's system is designed to protect us from like bears, right? You know, when we used to live in caves. And so when you get into this fight or flight, it makes sense that reproduction is not like on the agenda. And so you can really lose your sex drive with chronic stress. And that is really frustrating for people because sex is one of those things that for many people relieve stress, but women's testosterone levels, you know, can just fall right off the charts. And so yeah, PMS can be a lot worse as well and be exaggerated for women who typically would have more mild symptoms. They can have it a lot worse. Hmm. I so appreciate you just kind of giving us some of the, the the wide spectrum of how physiologically our bodies can just take a toll when it comes to just a lot of stress coming into the system. And it can I know it can look very different for people. Definitely the immune system, a huge, huge part of it, mainly because we know that there are hormones, our stress hormones are helping to regulate that, that immune system as well. So no surprise there. I wanted to just speak into, now that we've identified some of the what the, the biggest symptoms and more surprising symptoms, you know, when we think about how our symptoms of chronic stress relate to us in general as a person, how does past experiences or past traumas play a role? You know, I, I call, you know, 
when it comes to kind of looking at root causes for physiological issues, I think two of the most kind of what feels a little bit intangible, like we can't really always see it, is stress and trauma. Can you talk to me a little bit about how past experiences, even past traumas, can have an effect on us right now? Yes, I could talk to you for hours about this because (laughs) that is our everything. Our past experiences provide the lens through which we see our current situation. And I always say to patients, what's happening to you is much less important than the context in which it's happening. So in other words, you and I could go through the same crisis. We could each have a divorce and you may just say, oh, well, you know, I was looking to get a new spouse anyway, and I might be devastated for years and never be able to engage in a relationship. We may have very different responses to that based on our experiences. And so it's really important for me as a physician to understand what's going on and what have the emotional experiences been? Because one, it's going to make the physical symptoms worse. And two, our emotional responses get worse. My favorite saying in my field, which is also one of my favorite sayings in my life, so this is very telling, is that if it's hysterical, it's historical. So if how I'm responding today is really disproportionate for what's going on today, then my response isn't about today at all. And so that's when I know when, you know, I'm having this five alarm fire going off and there's just a little bit of smoke that my big fire alarm probably has more to do with the past than it does right now. So understanding all that makes a really huge difference in terms of the types of treatments we need to do and then helping people understand why they're having these responses when sometimes we just can't understand it. I give an analogy in the book. Oftentimes, I picture us each of having this giant yellow bucket. I don't know why it's yellow. I'm just, that's my imagination. And this is like our stress bucket. And, you know, the universe has this giant hose and it just drops, it just pours water into our stress bucket. And once it's full, it's full. And if one drop gets added, it's going to go over the edge. And we will lose our marbles over something so tiny, like the dog got let out or where's the toothpaste or why is the milk on the counter? And it's confusing for us. And it's confusing for the person who handed us just one tiny drop, but that's enough to pull us over the edge. And so how much is in that bucket plays a huge role in how we handle with it. And really the idea behind the five steps is looking at the bottom of the bucket, there's a spigot and we open it and we want to pull the old stuff out. So our capacity, you know, the volume comes down and we have a capacity for dealing with tons of stuff getting poured into the bucket now. So that past stuff that's already in there is everything. Hmm. So, so true. And I think anyone listening right now can recall a time, probably even in the last week, where the trash wasn't taken out or, yeah, there was something that should have been in the fridge that wasn't or they couldn't find whatever it was, the toothpaste, the deodorant, whatever it was. And that was the tipping point. Right. We lose it, right? We've all done that. We feel so stupid about it, but it's a very human thing and it has to do with the compilation of stress. Hmm. So I want to talk about, because a lot of us so often don't recognize that, 
You know, we don't recognize that we're being triggered by a previous trauma or a previous life experience. We don't realize that that's kind of the the linchpin that could just tip us over the edge with something so small. When when I'm looking at your new book, which looks at the five-step plan to really address, you know, healing the brain, healing the body, healing your life from what I consider to be just an everyday barrage of stressors, is a part of the five-step plan kind of addressing some of these these previous life experiences that that really make up who we are today. Yeah. And and that's part of the first step. My co-author and I, he's a clinical neuropsychologist. He lives in Norway. And really interesting guy, which is why I decided to co-author the book with him. Used to be a PGA member. He trained athletes and like ski jumpers. He has all these cool stories. But so we were trying to figure out with our differences in our backgrounds and training, him as a clinical neuropsychologist, me as a psychiatrist, addiction medicine specialist, how do we take what we do on a day-to-day basis and make it accessible and make it straightforward, but still take people as deep as we need to without simplifying the process too much. So it's kind of a long story how we ended up with five steps because how do you decide like how many steps are you going to make and what is it going to be? But we were looking at, we decided five steps and looking at the fingers of the hand. And the first step is get a grip. It's the thumb and getting a grip on your problem is naming the problem but to really figure out what it is. So one, you have to stop escaping. So you can't be drinking bottles of wine every night or absorbing yourself in video games or pornography or being on your phone constantly. Those things are distractions and we go to them. Our brains want the fastest route to calm down when we're really stressed, but they take away our attentional focus. So we have to stop escaping, bring the focus in, name the problem, and then really get at what's underneath this problem. What is the meaning of this problem to me? So what is the meaning of, let's say, the pandemic or economic, you know, whatever's going on in the community? Like, what does it mean to me personally? And so we walk people through that. How do you dig down? How do you find your own sensitivities that go back to your relationship with your parents or childhood experiences? So that's all part of the beginning of getting an understanding and getting a grip on what's going on and why you're reacting the way you are. Mm, Powerful. And so that, that first step is one, okay, removing the distractions, which I know Again, the easiest path. Yes. You know, you talked about some pretty compelling distractions that I think anyone can relate to. You know, you think about like even like TikTok becoming the thing during the pandemic, such a powerful distraction. So let's say I'm in a situation where I recognize that I'm being triggered or every day it's six o'clock. I'm I'm done with my my workday and I want to unplug instead of the unplugging, really kind of maybe focusing in on why is it that I'm, I, I feel the need to unplug? Just trying to get some clarity around that. So should we be looking at it around that time or maybe just looking around at the time where we are, we're feeling highly triggered, where we're feeling overwhelmed? 
Yeah. When you're in that moment, it's probably not the best time. Like at the end of a long day, when you're staring at the bottle of wine going, I just want that glass of wine. That's probably not the time that you're going to sit down and like dig in and figure out everything that's going on. You know, it's like, just get me out of this mess, right? (laughs) It's important to take a step back. And this is where my most ridiculous analogy I've ever come up with comes into play. And I just don't know how to replace it. But I have said the words, life is like snorkeling many times. And it's, this is so dumb, but just hear me out. When you're out snorkeling, you are just looking down and you've got all these fish and you're watching out for the sharks. There's all these shiny things. And it's just mesmerizing. If you're in some tropical place, it's beautiful. But every once in a while, you have to look up because you may be in a current and you have to make sure you haven't drifted too far from where you started on land. You have to ground yourself. And in life, there are times we need to look up from what we're doing. We may need to kind of like paddle over to a new location and then we can go back to snorkeling and the fun and watching life and participating. But it's those points of evaluation that are really essential throughout life. And I think that for a lot of people, you know, I'm an addiction specialist. I've written a lot of articles on alcohol use in in COVID. And alcohol became the national joke. You know, it was the quarantini and people were doing Zoom cocktail hours and all the memes. And, you know, if you drink it, one drink in each hand, you can't touch your face. And, you know, just all of these funny things. But when a study came out showing they were polling people and who was consuming alcohol working from home during work hours, the numbers were staggering. 40% in California. 50% in some places like Pennsylvania and Virginia, even higher in Hawaii. Hawaii was 67% of people drinking during work hours while they're working. I mean, that's crazy. So I'm starting to say to some of my patients, okay, so, you know, we're getting into, you know, August, September, October, November now. So we've been X number of months into this pandemic. Did you ever think you'd be a daily drinker for six or seven months? And many of them are going, no, I, I, I never thought that. I never, never even considered that. I'm like, well, now we're at the point where we have to start looking at your hemoglobin level and your blood count. And are you, you know, are you starting to have changes in your bone marrow because of the alcohol? We'll see that before the liver. So we really, in the moment of the total stress, it's not where you can stop and do the digging. And that's why we walk people through these steps on how you do that. Because when you have a chronic stress, you have to pick a time, right? That you're going to sit down and do this. For me, it's never going to be just at the end of the day. It'll be on a weekend for me when I have a little bit, you know, fewer things tugging at me, but it needs to be done because otherwise you're in that snorkeling and you can be drifting, drifting, drifting and look up and be completely in a different area than where you want to be in your life. Hmm. So, okay. So, so perfectly and well said more. So just making sure that you're taking that time to kind of evaluate. I was, you know, what I was thinking about when, when you were saying that is, you know, when you're in a situation where you're feeling triggered by somebody else and you notice that, that kind of feeling that anger or whatever that may be, 
you know, the recommendation is to kind of analyze where that's coming from. And I think I was thinking about that too, is like, oh, well, maybe there's that moment to kind of analyze of like, why am I feeling this way? But very different than just kind of an overarching, you know, hey, I've noticed that I'm stressed. You know, I'm going to spend this weekend and kind of just figure out what is going on with me. Okay, so that's step one. And I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I'm excited to hear what step two is. <laughs> well, I can't go through all of them with you. My publisher yes. won't let me because oh, good. until okay, the no book problem. comes out, right? <laughs> That makes sense. Okay, well, what's the next step you'd love to share? For me, I think my favorite step, I feel like I perpetually live in step four. Step four is we go through the fingers. It's the ring finger, right? And so the step is called pullback. And we walk people through getting a grip and then figuring out what they can do about their problem and then getting into the action. And we talk about motivation and how you actually get started with things. But then once you kind of start doing the things, there's this time for reflection because what happens with these big stressors that we go through is sometimes we feel like we're different. We've lost part of ourselves. We've had to sacrifice part of ourselves. And years ago, when I went through a crisis, I went through a divorce and something happened. So within the first maybe six months, I had my high school reunion. And my immediate response was shame, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have to go back. I don't have my plus one. What are all the mean girls going to say? They're going to like laugh at me because I can't keep a husband or whatever it is. You know, you have all these stupid, like, you know, self-negative thoughts that go through your head, but I'm an overthinker. So that's what it does. So I went, I just, you know, put on my big girl panties and went to this reunion and ran into one of my girlfriends from kindergarten. And I just, I didn't tell many people, like I didn't tell anyone what I do for a living or anything, but I said, yeah, I'm going through this divorce. And she said to me, like, I will never forget the words that this woman said to me. She said, Jenny, I'm so excited for you. She calls me Jenny because kindergarten, we were friends. <laughs> and, and I was looking at her like, are you crazy? And she said, you get to have a renaissance anything you want to do in life, you can do. And it was like, it hit me and I'm thinking, duh, I'm a psychiatrist, but you know, we don't think about these things in our lives. And I, I had been so focused on shame, on what had gone wrong, on all the problems on my plate that I didn't see it as a time of renewal. And Allie's words to me completely changed my perspective. And really, that's the spirit behind the fourth step. It's this time of introspection where we've like gotten already the things we need to be doing. You know, you know, we're getting on top of that. You know, we're giving cancer the middle finger. You know, we're doing the things we have to do. Now it's time to reflect. And so for me in my divorce, it was, okay, where am I in life? Where did I think I was going to be in life? How did I get over here? How do I get back to me? And how do I get back to the me? that I was before this crisis. And that's really my favorite part. I think probably because I'm an overthinker and an overanalyzer. I live in a perpetual state for just analyzing everything. But it's helpful to focus on what do I value in life? I value integrity. I value honesty. I value kindness. And really starting to take the focus from the crisis onto the things in life that you value and kind of reconnecting with those values. And that's important to do before we get to the fifth step, which I'll keep mysterious for now. <laughs> I had a feeling. Also in step four, is there, when you kind of do that reflection, is that an opportunity to kind of reframe? 
Because I feel like that's what your friend from from kindergarten did. Is she just had like this major reframe for you? How she, she is what you may have seen it as shame, and I can't believe this is happening to me. She saw it as this epic opportunity. She's like, girl, look at you with your new opportunity to really look at this. So I didn't know if in in step four, there was an opportunity as we reflect to kind of a reframe or a different perspective, kind of see it in a different light. Absolutely. And that also gets a little bit into the final step because it's really about even when these crises are chronic, right? I mean, this is a book about chronic stress, not like something that's going to end next week. These are things that drag on. The challenge is how do you live your life in a way that you aren't dragged down? Absolutely. That's everything. So in other words, how can you thrive despite the crisis? And I, I'm curious to that. I, I speak to this a lot in this podcast and in my books as well, trying to find ways in which, like when you look at your day-to-day, you know, I think about women in particular, we're looking at our day-to-day. We we mapped it that morning. We mapped it the day before. We mapped it at like midnight. You know, before we were heading to bed, we mapped the next day out. And it is audacious. It is massive. Like the to-do list is is not doable. <laughs> but you know what? We're going to go after it and we're going to try. And it's that culmination of trying to tackle all these things every single day, really the, the list of impossibilities in a lot of ways, that we begin, that bucket of overwhelm begins to really spill over. And so I don't know if you talk you talk a little bit about lifestyle or self-care. I know for me, we talked about both being stressaholics. I hope that's okay. I can share that. But I'll definitely own my stressaholicness. And it was because I never had time for what I consider to be luxuries. Um, I didn't have time to, like, when I got my nails done, there was no massage. I cut it out. I was like, I don't have time for the massage. I don't have time for you to put lotion on my legs. How how can you get me out of here in 30 minutes? Those were those were the decisions that I was making all the time. You know, where people were, were making a moment out of it, I was like, I need you to be as a, how, can I get two of you on me? Because I need to get out of here. You know, and so I was always always finagling how I could get things done faster, how I could get someone help me get it done faster because I moved to the next thing. And self-care was definitely a luxury that was never for me. It was I was too busy for it. And so ultimately over a little over a decade of this, I crash and burn hard. And I have to I have to majorly reframe because a lot of what my belief was is I everything about me was predicated on my productivity on my my worthiness was predicated on my productivity and the idea yeah, of not you being sound like per- a perfectionist <laughs> and you know and it's so funny because I you know there are definitely areas where I am a perfectionist but I am more about let's check these boxes like I am a Virgo too but I'm I'm better done than perfect is that I like a lot of things done. And so when I was finally recovering, I kept falling back back into my patterns because I was still driven by this belief. And it wasn't until I finally identified the belief and realized that daily little moments of self-care, little moments of grace in my day was going to be the saving grace for me. And so I don't know if any of that is ever kind of talked about as well inside of the book. Absolutely. There's a whole section on reflection and simplification without feeling guilty. 
a colleague of mine, Dr. Michelle Flowers, she's in Chicago and she's a psychiatrist and she's board certified in child adolescent psychiatry. And she's a mom with four kids. And at the beginning of the pandemic, her advice was, okay, if you write down the five essential things you absolutely have to do in a day, she said, immediately cross three off and just don't even think about doing them. Just do two and you're fine. And like, that was her mantra going in. Like, this is not the time when you're in crisis for perfectionist tendencies or to be the box checker. I asked myself, you know, what is the value that this activity gives me or that this thinking pattern or what I'm doing? Am I adding value to my life or am I creating chaos? And we do this in our behaviors and our thoughts, you know, and I'm one of those that all get on this rabbit trail of thinking and go and go and go. And the question is, is that adding value? If I'm getting somewhere, it does. If I'm backing the car out of the driveway and pulling back in and backing out and going back, if I'm not getting anywhere, why am I doing this? So it's really kind of figuring out the things that you do that add value. What are the relationships that add value? Have certain relationships become toxic? How do you eliminate those or minimize those or put healthy boundaries around those? What are the things that you can do to improve your quality of life on a day-to-day basis? It's worth thinking about. Hmm. I love that. I love, I love how is this adding value or looking at it as how is this creating chaos? I think it's it's that introspection that you talked about, which was step four, that really kind of re again, it's it helps us to reframe and figure out. I love that. I don't know if I could do having my five big rocks and then crossing off three. I don't know if I could physically see the five on the paper and be like, I'm not doing two of those. Like I'm looking at my little, this is my little paper right here. Uh Oh, wow. (laughs) And this is, well, it was from the weekend and I just keep adding to it. These are big rocks, massive project rocks. And if it's on that paper, I ain't crossing it off. And so, I mean, I think we got to, I just love that she was able to do that. I'm just, that's, you know, I think what I don't, I just don't put it on the list. I just don't put it on there at all. I don't like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it crossed out either, but we all have our thing. And so like for me, I have a morning ritual that's non-negotiable and I have afternoon meditations that are non-negotiable. Like the way that they're just built into my life now and, and built into my day that are just literally the grace that I need to have to function. And so I'm so grateful to hear, one, those questions of just asking yourself, like, what value is this bringing to me? A whole lot of nothing. You know, like just getting real clear on that, those really important questions. And then from there, making changes based on that because it's clearly not serving. Yeah. I love that so much. Okay. Well, I know we got to keep some secrets in the book, and I'm so grateful that you have written this. Is there anything else you want to share with us about this beautiful book besides where to get it and all the good things? I could talk about this book for days on end. I am really excited about it. I think it takes a process that can seem very daunting and makes it accessible for I mean, I think just about every human, we're all going to go through a crisis, even prior to 2020, we're all going to go through this crisis and 2021 isn't looking so fabulous yet either, (laughs) you know, with everything up in the air, with the election, all that, who knows what's going to happen. I 
really believe that this is an approachable way. I think the big thing my co-author and I wanted to do was to have our personalities, our sense of humor and everything in this book. We didn't want it to feel like a chore. Like reading a self-help book shouldn't feel like a chore. Doing work on yourself shouldn't feel like a chore. It needs to have humor in it. There needs to be a lighthearted approach. And so I think that's one of my favorite parts of the book is we each have our own chapters. We each use our own voices, but we have this cohesive message. So I'm super excited about it. Well, thank you. It is available on Amazon in the U.S. and in the U.K. It's online in Australia. It's being translated into Russian. So if anyone... (laughs) happens to be listening from Russia, you'll be able to get this. I don't know when, but it's online. I I don't know if anyone's watching a video, you can kind of see I'll hold it up, but it is for sale now. I actually think it's on sale now for a little less. It's called When Crisis Strikes, Five Steps to Heal Your Brain, Body, and Life from Chronic Stress. Well, I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Jennifer Love, for coming on here and also for so much intention and so much that poured into this book. And most importantly is that you know, people having a plan literally to overcome these, I mean, like you said, crises are going to happen. They are. And with not having a plan to be able to get through them, so many of us are just navigating in that terrain. And so I love that you guys took so much thought, care, and effort into creating something that we could work through ourselves in the comfort of our own home. And that's why the books like this are so, so critical in the world. Because not all of us can afford a therapist or a psychiatrist. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the way the book is set up with kind of the chapter on the physical symptoms, you know, and what to do about that, the five steps, and then we have a whole entire section where we demonstrate how people have used the five steps in all these various circumstances. And so people can see how people have gone through similar problems have used the steps. So it's not just about learning the steps, but when you're done, you have an experience of seeing how the steps can be applied to numerous different situations. So there really is a mastery in terms of this. I used it myself during COVID (laughs) and there's some really great coping strategies and, and distress tolerance techniques in there. So I hope you love it. I hope your listeners love it. I'll love to hear feedback from people when it comes out. I'm really excited. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. And congratulations. Thank you. One of the biggest concerns that women reach out to me every single day is regarding how they are feeling when they're stressed and overly anxious. And for good reason. It has been a crazy roller coaster of a ride in 2020. I know we're getting started in 2021, but especially even with the holiday season and how different that was, we're just feeling a little bit more strain, stress, and anxiety than we've ever experienced before. But that doesn't mean that we can't take that moment and switch it, literally change our state. Now, there's a couple things that I recommend in order to change the state. One is recognize when you're feeling stressed, whether your jaws clenched or your shoulders are closer to your ears or you feel a little bit of tightness in your chest, whatever that indicator is for you when you're like, okay, I need to like reset this whole situation right here. And then having a 
basically a ritual. So one of the things that I recommend is in order to kind of calm that stress response system down, calm the brain down, is using a little bit of a chewable GABA. Um, GABA is a neurotransmitter that literally relaxes the brain and relaxes the mind. It's great, especially for women in perimenopause and menopause. And I actually have a instant chewable GABA supplement that I carry. It's called Common Restore. And like I meant, it's literally an instant chewable. You can take two a day. I recommend taking them when you're feeling anxious or maybe taking them at night before going to bed. And what I love to do, if ever I'm feeling just, I need to take the edge off. I need to kind of calm the stress response system down and I want to do it quickly as I take a chewable common restore. Then I do about 30 to 60 seconds of deep breathing, just six, six seconds in, six seconds out. I grab a lavender essential oil. This takes a couple of minutes. And by the third minute, I literally feel like I'm in a different state. And it works beautifully in literally resetting the stress response system. It works like a charm. So I will have the link for the Common Restore Instant Chewable Supplement in the show notes. I know I've shared a lot about deep breathing and clearly you know where to get the oils. So I'll have all that for you as well. But in and other episodes. And then also, I do recommend checking out Dr. Jennifer Love's new book, When Crisis Strikes, Five Steps to Heal Your Brain, Your Body, and Your Life from Chronic Stress. And both of those links will be in the show notes for this episode. I want to just say thank you so much for joining me today for another episode on the Essentially You podcast. If you are loving these episodes, head on over to iTunes or wherever you love to plug into podcasts and leave a quick review. This way, this information that is so critical to so many women and families is disseminating, is getting out to them because I know that I wish I had this information when I was in the height of my biggest hormone struggles. Until the next episode, next Tuesday, I hope you have a wonderful week and a happy new year. 